how many blind producers does it take to have a podcast? <laughs> Hello, ladies, gentlemen, all variations thereupon. Welcome to episode two of the White Rabbit Tea Party podcast. My voice just cracked. I am your host, Alice Kane Wolf. I am sitting here with another musician, do it yourself, solo, prog, bedroom project, SoundCloud stereotype, except they actually make good music. <laughs> Ramon Gutierrez. Hopefully I said that right. From Andromeda. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. You, de- you definitely uh, nailed the name. So well, uh, I'm 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 of Hispanic descent myself, so you know Gutierrez. It's pretty easy for me. <laughs> yeah, that's good because uh, yeah, that that's been butchered <laughs> quite a bit before. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna butcher my next guest's last name, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so for oh, those I'm listeners, I'm also glad you got Andromeda right. You wouldn't believe the amount of people that mispronounce that. What is the weirdest you've gotten on that? Andromedia or something like Andromedia or something like that. Andromedia. Yeah, like it add, they added an extra letter in there. Like, like a Andromedia, like a portmanteau of androgynous. What media? What the fuck? <laughs> the internet is so crazy. Yeah, I, I don't understand how how they got to that pronoun- pronunciation, but I mean, you know, whatever, I guess. Yeah. Well. Since this is apparently the second time ever you've appeared on a podcast, uh, why don't you give my listeners and anybody who isn't already familiar with your work a nice backstory on your whole approach to music, how you got started, what inspired Andromeda, the branding and sonic approach of the project, and just tell me all about it. Yeah, so I actually, like a a backstory about myself, I actually got into music really young. Um, I started the violin when I was um, three. And I played that for till I was about 11 or so before I ended up picking up guitar. But so like music for me has always been like a super important part of my life. So like from a very young age, I like knew that music in some capacity was what I wanted to do, um, you know, as a living. So eventually I got to the point where, you know, I got into metal and everything and, um, you know, got into guitar and all that. And got to the point where I was like, oh, I want to be in a band. And I went, I basically had the experience of not being able to find members that I could like rely on. So eventually I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do shit myself. And thus Andromeda became a thing. And as far as the, um, as so like as far as the inspiration for like the Sonic side of things, I... I, when I first started, I wanted to blend metal with like cinematic type movie soundtrack kind of styles because I'm really into like video game scores and movie scores and all that. That stuff is just awesome to me. But it's 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 now gone to the point where I just want I just I just want to break down like the genre barriers. I just want to like make whatever the fuck I want to make basically. So so yeah so like i I love incorporating different um different styles of music with metal. It's just it's so much fun to clash genres like that, especially yeah. like like metal and electronic that that shit goes so well together oh definitely like um I was to prepare for this interview, I was um playing some of your music for my partners here at my house, and we were just picking out so many different uh, subgenres of electronic music coming through in that influence and it was just tickling me pink like yo is this more trip hop or is this trap because like we had heard trip hop and both 
before and you've also like done fantastic covers of popular trap and pop songs like take what you want by post malone yeah i love that song <laughs> i do i do too i'm kind of salty you beat me to covering it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i mean you can still do your own version oh no no i know but like you and the vocalist that you worked with it really hit it out of the park in my opinion so i'm like okay i'm gonna find something different to do <laughs> well thank you yeah, um, for anybody listening, still at this point in the podcast, because I know I'm kind of a blithering idiot sometimes, uh, the newest single, The Passage and Downfall, and the newest full-length album, Timeless. What can you tell me about these two projects? So, well, The, path, the, path, the Passage and Downfall, that one, like recently, more recently more so than before, I've been really getting into like sound design for like the electronic side of things like i've always had synths and stuff in my music but recently i've been really cracking down on that side of things and so and i've been listening to like a lot of uh a lot of the a lot of mick gordon and just the, the doom soundtrack in general which if you haven't listened to that you're doing yourself a disservice that goes to anyone listening to the podcast it's yeah it's so i, I would i I'm just going to augment that point by saying I don't play video games. I make a kind of a fun game out of reminding people on the internet that I don't like video games <laughs> to see how mad they get. And even I adore everything that Mick Gordon did for that game and what that game and its soundtrack did for metal's relevancy in the popular culture. Yeah, scene. I agree for sure. The, the fact that, that was actually a question that somebody uh, put in a, one of the posts that I put out there about this interview, they were going to ask if this latest single was influenced by Mick Gordon or an homage to him. Oh, so yeah, it's kind of <laughs> funny. Yeah. Well, it's um, on that topic. It's like, you know, in my own experience, like even since the first doom soundtrack in 2016, I've heard so much of his compositional approach and his sonic approach being incorporated into all of these metal bands who are now incorporating industrial and pseudo industrial elements. Like, you can hear it in your music, you can hear it in my music. There are bands like Three Teeth, and like the absolute crushing clarity and grit of those guitars has influenced the production styles of almost every modern metal production. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, the, the Pathogen Downfall and uh, the song before that too, um, Isolated, um, they're, they're both pretty heavily McGordon influenced. And um, yeah, I just, I it, so like, there's a pretty, pretty drastic, I can't talk, <laughs> drastic difference between Timeless and the, you know, the two new singles, whereas Timeless is a lot more, there's a lot more like techie riffs in there and guitar solos and stuff, whereas the newer stuff is like way more groove oriented. And honestly, for me, it comes down to, it comes down to almost to, to not giving a fuck about trying to impress other people, because honestly, with the more techie side of my music, it's I've always done it to try and sort of fit in with this whole internet guitarist thing where you have to be, you know, shreddy as fuck to impress people. And it's like, oh shit, something is trending on Instagram. Let me go learn the woven web again real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just like as 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 much fun as I had like challenging myself and writing those techier stuff that you know that techier side style of music i have way more fun doing the the more groove oriented and just flat out just like straight like just bop kind of fucking you know just just good riffs they don't have to be super techy or anything to just fucking get you moving like that for me is so is has um 
it's just so much more fun for me to even like listen to it just like because i don't even really listen to much um guitar like you know instrumental music for the yeah, reason I agree. that yeah like, for the, for the reason people, that it's like too technical yeah like some people who i think are smoking crack um like have compared my playing style to people like angel vivaldi and i'm just sitting here like <laughs> am i that much of a wanker like and i'm saying this in jest because angel's a personal friend of mine and he's on my most famous song so but like even he will tell you that he plays like his his style of playing is from the heart is just playing his tits off yeah which, i mean you know that, i totally respect that but yeah it's I, like i totally, I totally understand where you're coming from as well because I think you've known me long enough to know I am an avid proponent of the big dick riff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the but I mean, like, yeah, like I'm not trying to take away from people that do like you know do the whole shreddy kind of stuff. Because I mean, kudos to them for you know taking the time to you know practice and get to that point of playing. But for me, as a as as just like a music listener, it doesn't re resonate with me as much as like you know the the big dick riffs would per se, and. So like I want to make I want to make music that I would listen to personally. That's that like if I wouldn't listen to the the style of music that, that I'm making, how can I expect others to listen to? It? That's my idea behind you know making music in general. I think it's actually a really really neat um really neat way of wording it. Fuck, I stumbled over my words for a second there. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Um so it's funny because that actually segues really nicely into the other questions that uh, somebody had for you, which is um, actually the bassist in a band that I'm forming that I haven't told anybody about yet, apart from the initial call for action. Ooh. So, yeah, ooh. But um, they wanted to know, what prog metal tropes do you hate? Ooh. Like, like is it the Strymon intros? Is it the breakdowns that have no substance? And no, like, mixing to make the Sonics more interesting. Like, let, let's get the T out. Come on. All right. So as far... Well, I'm going I'm to be straight up honest. I'd, I've been getting, like, less and less into, new, like, the newer like the newer bands coming out. In general, I feel like, um, like... I, I don't want to say metal is, like, becoming stale. But there's a lot of... Uh, how do I put this? There's a lot of bands that are coming out that are just honestly that are just sounding super samey, and it's uh, I don't know it's just it's just not it's just not hitting it for me. And as far as like tropes go, like there's like certain uh, structures that you can pick out in songs where it's like you know intro, verse, chorus, breakdown, verse, and then like a chorus again or something, and then the outro, and it's just like that combined with how similar everyone sounds in terms of um, production like everyone's going for the exact same kind of a uh, genty tone like i mean i'm guilty of that too i, I like the whole genty tone but thanks misha <laughs> but um uh, but i mean hot take and uh, no, just hot take just on the topic of like misha and popularized genty guitar tones like why does periphery one have the most interesting sonics of any of their records but it was the one that was recorded in an apartment and I, mixed by misha i agree i agree 100 percent. 100 percent Periphery, like, per, their I'm, later catalog introduced us to the absolute wonder of nature that is Adam Nolly Get Good. I mean, but, yeah, that's true too. Like that original album has so much mojo and that guitar tone, like it has never been replicated. I've heard so many people try and they can never get that same like mid-range quack. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. wild. I, and I remember when I was first getting into like the whole heavier genres of music whenever, and actually funny enough, that first album was what got me into like the progressive side of metal. 
um so it holds a special place in my heart and same here like that early periphery work like the the late uh aughts and the early 2010s like internet guitar forum prog metal scene yeah. like all of the bands out in that like back when you could buy Pliny's eps on Bandcamp for whatever you wanted <laughs> No, like that as I used to have like prepaid cards that I would like I'd buy some shit on it and then I'd be like how much is left in it like three dollars and twenty what the fuck can I buy for three twenty ah fuck it I'll find a pay what you want album that I like on Bandcamp and throw some money at a musician <laughs> like <laughs> that's awesome yeah those days those days for me were like the prime prog metal days because now it's like everyone's trying to basically replicate those days and but just doing a your job of it i guess well it's it's funny because the whole vibe of those days which is making music that excited you and not really caring too much about pretense just caring about quality mm -hmm. and but nowadays everybody is so attached to the like it's weird with the passage of time and with how chaotic the world has been i think people are like nostalgia is hitting for shit that was like for some people shit that was two months ago some people that was like only two years ago to like you know periphery one came out in like 2010 right yeah so it, yeah, at this point it is a decade. Yeah, God it damn. Is. damn. Holy Fuck. shit, I feel old. I feel old. God damn. But also another hot take. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is that much of a hot take, but periphery one and two over everything else. Periphery is done. Just as entire projects, I totally agree. However, as a slight addendum to that, I think. Some of their best examples of individual song writing have appeared on their later albums. Oh, well, However, yeah, the, I can agree with that. But listening to like Periphery One and Periphery Two, there's this like distinct feeling of like, like you, you, it's music so complex and so interesting. You're wondering like, what were they thinking when they came up with this? Not only is it complex and interesting, though, it's like it's memorable. That's yeah. That's the part where I feel like a lot of bands today are having trouble like especially the more technical side of stuff is they're making these like techie riffs but it's like it, for me at least it nothing nothing's really like sticking the way like you know the older that you know like periphery one did like make like don't make music just for the or don't make technical music just for the sake of being technical like and if it's going to be technical like make it something about it sonically interesting because like there is a ridiculously stupid and technical and asinine atonal riff on periphery one that just got stuck in my head because we're talking about it yeah 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 i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i know which, which one you're talking about too zygo rocks yep 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly i knew it but i mean but that riff it's it's techie but it sounds like it's like insane. It's I don't I don't know how to explain well, it. Well, it's, like, it's got this like manic bounce to it. It's like it's like it's just a rhythmic powerhouse of a riff, and the fact that it's accentuated yeah, exactly. with that like atonal uh, tapping, like. And I remember actually like uh, when I was looking at Misha's SoundClick shit, and like when I was looking at the descriptions for all of these, like way way back in the day, like in these golden days that we're reminiscing about here. And I was looking at like the conceptual approach to that song. And he was like, yeah, I was uh, visiting my family off in a, you know, off wherever I forget and probably don't remember properly. But uh, I just wanted to write something like techie and asinine, like just just for fun. And like when you are so blunt about something like that and it comes out like that, it shows that, OK, you literally did just do this to have fun because this is fun to listen to. Yeah, exactly.
And I mean, the, the cool thing about that riff too is like, like you said, like it's like, it's super technique or uh, techie and atonal or whatever, but it's, it's got, it, it's got the groove. It's like, it's, it, you know, it's a rhythmic powerhouse, like you said. And like that for me, like I've, I've already said that groove for me is so important. Like I have to be able to like fucking like move my head and, you know, move my body with the music. And I honestly think that that's where a lot of people in our like guitar driven prog metal space are going. Like, you know, even on the topic of the evolution of periphery, they're now more focused on songwriting. And because of that, their riffs or their songs aren't just like big dick riff one, big dick riff two, bigger dick riff four, biggest dick riff breakdown. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we all know songs like that. And I think we've all wanted to write songs like that. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Lucas De La Rosa. Go listen to War. Sunlight Highlights is an amazing EP. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree 100%, though. I think it's Sunset Highlights. I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point. No, you're totally, you're totally fine. I did have a question for you, though, because while I was doing my research for this podcast and just, you know, scrolling through your bios and such, I, was, I noticed that you were diagnosed legally blind at an early age. So I, I'm curious, you know, Obviously, only share what you're comfortable with, but I'm curious as to, you know, what particular visual impairments you struggle with and how that has affected your approach to art. Like, has it manifested in synesthesia? Has it posed logistical difficulties past not being able to read sheet music? You know, let, like, I can actually relate to a lot of this, so I really want to pick your brain. Yeah, so I have no problem talking about this because, I, I mean, like, stuff like this where whenever you've, whenever you've got, like, a disability or whatever you want to call it, that's like part of who you are and trying to like, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should like, you know, embrace it. It's part of who you are. So like, I don't have any problem with fucking talking about the, you know, me being legally blind or whatever. And for those, uh, you know, if you're, since you're wondering, the, the condition that I have is uh, nystagmus, which if you don't know what that is, um, my eyes I shake. know what that is because I have it too. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, so I mean, so then you know exactly what I'm dealing with. Yeah, so the, so the TLDR of nystagmus is like, it's natural in human physiology for the eyes to shake a little bit. Uh, imagine if your eyes were just constantly mainlining cocaine. Like the shaking <laughs> is just a lot, a lot worse, and it makes focusing on anything, regardless of how well the lenses of your eyes work, fucking impossible. Yeah, exactly. And so like glasses are basically fucking useless. Um yeah, so I mean, as far as that I, explains why you don't wear them. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, that's why. That's why I don't wear glasses. See, I have nystagmus, but I have to wear glasses because I was born with cataracts and I have glaucoma. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, see, I wasn't born with like anything else. Anything else other than nystagmus? I think I have a little bit of astigmatism, but not enough to to like where I can notice like a correction with glasses. And. So yeah, so I don't, so I don't wear glasses. So that's why, that's why whenever I'm like, if you ever see me, like anyone that knows me in real life, if I, if, if I have to look at a screen, like my face has to be fucking like glued to the fucking screen. That's for, every time I talk about my vision disabilities, my girlfriends just remind me of like me laying in bed with the phone like three inches from my goddamn face. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. fucking stay still so I can read you. Exactly. I'm not even on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I I know that feeling all too well, and like I'll like. I've like seen videos of myself where I'm like looking at my phone and I can like see my head like kind of moving it around trying to focus with whatever I'm reading on my phone 
and that okay. looks so dumb. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Do you have the same problem that I do where like you, you play your guitar and your instruments mostly off of muscle memory feel and like auditory feedback and audiating. So like when you get really into it, like you just kind of lose control over your face because you're not really looking at anything anymore. <laughs> you just kind of vibe in. I know where this is going. Yeah. I yeah. Know, well, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I, do, that's why I like it. Like if I, if I, so I try, I mean, I wish I could like, uh, so whenever I record like playthroughs or whatever, I, I don't, I, I normally don't show my face, but it's not because I don't want to. It's because I have to have the camera close enough to be able to see if I'm like focusing correctly. Oh, okay. So you do your, like all your manual focus and such like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I do all that shit myself, which is fucking ridiculously hard trying to do that. Um, which kudos to you for like getting efficient at that DIY workflow, because like y- your, your output of content creation, cause I've had you on my list for a while. It's fucking insane. Thank you. Oh, I was yeah. holding off a burp that entire time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. But it's just something that I've just gotten like used to living with. So it's like, you know, you, you, you learn, you learn to live with that kind of stuff. So when it comes to so yeah, when it comes to videos, I have to have the camera at a certain distance so that I can kind of, so I can like sort of see that I'm in focus. I can't even really tell until I actually, until I actually pull the, you know, the footage from the camera onto my computer and like actually look at it and be like, and you, and this this is probably, and I hate making videos for this reason is because, uh, I'll, I'll like think I'm in focus whenever I record then I'll go to my computer and I'll see that the whole video is like out of focus by like a bit but it's like noticeable and I'm like fuck I have to do that whole fucking thing again see I've made it kind of an aesthetic choice because I'm blind as shit but I'm pretty decent at framing stuff and color grading and post so it's like I've kind of embraced because the the aesthetic that I attached myself to after like I got out of the prog metal phase and like you know when I uh, ended up having to move out of my parents' house and all of that kind of shit. Like the aesthetic that I really got attached to is like the really filtered, like neon light second album, 1975 era kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's like all of my album art is really psychedelic and colorful, and like everything has like a really purple, pinkish hue to it because like it's just purple. it's it's about the vibe. Purple's fucking the goat. Perp gang. Perp is the is the fucking goat. Prep is the fucking go. I, I love so when it comes to to album artwork though, I love like colorful shit like that though, because like for honestly for me, artwork is like like in terms of like the the album artwork or single artwork or whatever, it's just as important as the music to me, because it's like you're 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 it's you're getting an idea of what you're gonna go into by looking at the artwork. So like for me, I'm obviously I like having. So like with my music, since I like incorporating so much different genres and everything, I want my artwork to represent the fact that, um, like I, I want my artwork to, you know, to, to to be like wow, because I want I want it to represent the fact that my music is like, you know, not to too much. Well, yeah, because there's but. there's um there's almost a level of abstractness to being an instrumental musician is that you, most of the emotional context is you have to suggest. Yeah, You can't exactly. explicitly tell somebody because you're not on the microphone singing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, our work is such a big thing for me, but that, that that's why I'm so glad that I found uh, the art, the artist that I have. Cause he gets my, he gets my vibe so well. Like, 
I'll just send him the song and I won't even, I, I don't even at this point tell him like what I'm looking for. I'm just like, you know, do your thing. He'll come back and the, the artwork like fits perfectly with the fucking, uh, with the music. So it's just like, yeah, that's such a healthy and fantastic relationship. And, and it shows because like the aesthetics of Andromeda, like when you just go to Apple music or Spotify and just like scroll through it, you're just like, God damn, these all look fascinating. Yeah. He's, he's insane. He's fucking insane. He's a great artist. I, love, I think I, I actually added him. him and started following his work because of you. Actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's great. He's, he's so nice too. I love working with him. Um, but yeah, so, um, anyway, what was, what was, uh, what were we talking about before I, before I well, went on the artist tangent? My bad. <laughs> well, we were, uh, we were talking about, uh, how both of us are blind as shit and I was curious how it affects your creative project musically. Oh, because, okay. Like, yeah. So as specifically, far as... <laughs> I'm curious if you have something that I deal with, which is, um, and this might be more an, uh, autism spectrum thing than it is like a visual learning thing. But I have a very tactile relationship when I produce, like, uh, like I can feel the frequencies, almost like synesthesia. Like you know, you can like you hear a number and you see a color kind of thing. I, I, um, yeah, I do, I do experience that as well. Interesting. Um, I, yeah, I do. So, cause I, so when it comes to when it comes to the way that as far as like mixing and stuff goes, um, it's gone to the point where I can like I can listen to something and I and I can point out, oh, there's like there's like a frequency buildup happening right in this area. And so like, so like, for example, someone will send me like a mix to critique or whatever. And I'll be like, it's like oh, three you... Se- you only need to hear three seconds of it to be like, all right, um, compress it a little bit less scoop out between uh, 200 and 500 per yeah, notch exactly. between three K five K and uh, your golden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they'll do that and they'll be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like the like, how did you? They'll be like, "What the fuck? How can you like tell? Like that's exactly where it needs to be." And it's just like, I don't know, man. I, I find it really interesting that somebody else who struggles with um, the visual side of music also has that relationship with their production because you were also like, your productions always sound fucking amazing. Like, I, I remember I even had you try to mix one of the songs that's coming up on my album, and I didn't end up uh, going with that mix just because we don't have the same responses to frequencies it seems but this like lends a lot more context to that because you know in some ways i feel like it's a gift and a curse like when i listen to music if it's produced terribly i literally yeah. cannot pay attention to the actual composition of content I'm the of it the exact same way i'm literally the exact same but way but on the flip side of it it means like when i am actually producing for myself or for a client or a band that actually does want to work with me i care so fucking much <laughs> Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I'm the exact same way, and especially when it comes to like listening to to music, um, the 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 I, I like I hate to say it because like there's there's some good music out there that doesn't have a great mix, but because I'm able to pick out stuff like that so like so so easily, like uh, the mix for me is so important when it comes to like being able to enjoy music. So it is like yeah, a gift and a curse kind of thing, and. And it, it it only it only got more intense when I got into like into actually producing like mixing you know mixing stuff because like I didn't notice it as much before, um, be like before I got into like uh you know audio and everything. But when I really got into audio, it's like now I, I like I'm constantly listening to like I constantly have like my mixing brain engaged. I guess yeah I'm listening yeah to music. I know the feeling. So so yeah I definitely I definitely can uh, relate to to that where. 
um, I can like, yeah, where you like how, how you said it, I can feel frequencies and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, so what's your biggest production pet peeve? Like, like you, you listen to a song and you hear that and you're just like, nope, I'm out. Ooh, my biggest production pet peeve, probably a, a messy high end. Mm. that that really ir- that really irks me because uh like yeah so- i know because like when i sent you my mix of that song you were like you'll clean up the high end <laughs> which go, you know that was a year ago for context for the listeners and now i go back and listen to that mix i'm like that high end was trash <laughs> <laughs> yeah for for me high the high end is uh it's so it's because that i feel like for me spe- specifically speaking i'm so sensitive to the high end so like in my early in my earlier mixes before um you know before I was like decent uh I would I cut out I would cut out like too much of like the too much of the high end I'd notch out too many frequencies and it would make the high end sound empty but it was because I was so sensitive to that area. I had the exact same problem actually, and that's actually why a lot of my mixes were really bright for a second because I had this thought process of eh I'll just mix it quieter and just not like consciously excuse a lot of these notches and then i just kind of got better at telling which ones were most offensive and like yeah. learning my gear and what plugins i use and then just oh okay cool yeah exactly yeah it's the same for me and so I'll, when you produce do you use um monitors or headphones um i so i use both um i've got i've got a set of yamaha hs8s that i use and then funny enough i do some mixing on <laughs> fucking apple Apple, um, Apple, like ear pods. Okay, so like that is so valid, and I wish more people did this. If not mixed on them, at least vibe check their mixes on them, because so many people are listening to your music on those. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, they're they they're a pretty good representation of. They uh, they really are. Like for prepackaged earbuds with the phone, they're fantastic quality, like good listening experience earbuds. They're a little physically uncomfortable if your ears shaped wrong, but like sonically, they're they're pretty fucking good and if that's the standard that all of the cheap shit's trying to live up to then if you can make it sound good on that you're you're pretty golden yeah yeah one, I, I, one place that i always really vibe check my mixes a lot is bluetooth speakers yeah that's a good that's a good idea too i don't have any bluetooth speakers but i always um, um well i always have a bluetooth speaker around because i'm so sensitive to sound in my environments that i need to drown it out with music a lot of the time or like a video or just something, some oh, sort see, of for me, I mean, stimuli. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm the same way, but I always have headphones in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, I don't like the, the tactile because I am like even more sensitive to frequencies than I think you even might be because doing things in headphones can be physically overwhelming for me. It's a little bit of a curse. Gotcha. Because like doing sound design, especially electronic sound design, when you start getting into some of the fun stereo wits tricks, mid-side EQ, like all of that fun stuff, like you really want to hear how that's vibing around the stereo space. Uh, sometimes it's like if the day's been too bad and you're too tense, like you'll you'll get that little two point one k spike, and you're just like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> Yo, that two point that that two k area used to. Yeah, fuck that area. <laughs> it's scientifically proven that area is annoying as shit. It's it yeah. I mean, so here's the thing with that. I've had like a. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with that area because it is, yeah, you're right. It is scientifically proven that that area is like, it's a, it can be hella abrasive, but for like, for, so my guitar tone specifically, um, or my mixes in general, especially the recent ones are very, very bass heavy. 
in terms of uh, or our, our very base, like, how, how, how do I word this? The, 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 the guitar tone is very reliant on the bass, is what I'm trying to say. So, like, if I, if I, take, if I were to mute the bass, the guitar tones are pretty, uh, are pretty heavy in the 2K area. But they're, like, relatively um, lower in the mix, relatively speaking to, like, the bass and everything. But, so the reason why I do that, though, is because the, especially since I'm playing in, like, fucking double drop B and shit, the bass is going to be the, is, is mm -hmm. going to be the foundation yeah. of the mix. Like, oh. it has to be. Oh, so, um, do you do any special processing on your guitar bus? Um. Or just general, like, EQ comp shit? Well, so, <laughs> so I process my guitar tone almost entirely in, uh, in the AxeFX unit itself to save uh, CPU and stuff on my computer. Fair. Yeah. So, but as but then as far as so then in my guitar bus, I will I will do a little bit of a saturation, and then I'll have a limiter just to just to get any uh, any peaks. But one thing that give I give a little bit more harmonic content and even out the transients. Yeah. But and then and then after that though, then I'll have a compressor that's a side chain to to the snare and to the kick. And for the for the snare, I've got um, side chaining, or it's doing like two like two dB, almost or almost two dB of gain reduction, so that basically whenever the snare hits, the guitar is duck. So are you doing a side chain comp, or are you doing a side chain uh, dynamic EQ for that? Side chain comp. You should try um, the dynamic EQ trick. Like if you don't have the four hundred dollars to spend on the Waves dynamic EQ, uh, TDR Tokyo Don Records has a one called Nova. I use it on all of my mixes because especially on a bass bus, specifically the low subtrack of the bass bus, like if you sidechain specifically the area where the transient of the kick lives to that on the just just that track so that whenever the kick hits, just that area of the frequency spectrum is getting ducked out of the bass low track. It the low end is so massive and you can get it to punch so hard without sounding unnatural. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I, I, that's, I do do that, actually. I've got the kick sidechain to the bass. But, so, my, my... Well, the reason I bring up the dynamic EQ trick is just because it's a slightly different effect than uh, sidechain compression. So, like, whenever I'm teaching a mixing class, I encourage people to experiment with that. Yeah, I, I, that is something I've, um, that I probably will try. Because, uh, I mean, you know, instead of ducking the entire track, it's just ducking the frequencies that are... Uh, you know that you tell it to basically yeah well and that's really useful for like the mid frequencies of a snare and the guitar bus yeah yeah i i, I can definitely see that being really useful um my idea or think about the... it or even like if you have like you want to keep your lead tone super bright and have like some harmonics that are really kind of jumping out of the mix at you you could even side chain like the overheads or your brightest element in the mix to oh, that's a good that. idea actually yeah like when you start looking at it as ducking frequencies as opposed to ducking tracks, it opens up a hell of a lot more possibilities. Yeah, that 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 is a uh, that is yeah that is a good idea actually. That well, is, one of my sick. secret sauce tricks uh, for guitar buses actually is a uh, do you pan like hundred left hundred right? Yeah, I do. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is I pan ninety eight left ninety eight right, so that there's a little bit of uh, energy coming into the second channel or center channel, and then on the guitar bus I put a mid side EQ in there. And I will pull out uh, between like 100 and 300 with like a decently wide cue, pull down about 2 or 3 dB just in the center channel to make room for the bass guitar, the audible frequencies. 
And that coupled with the general like notches and uh, general EQ that I you do on your guitar in the Axe effects or the DAW or whatever, like it pushes the guitars out in the stereo space just a little bit. And especially when if you try this trick with headphones, you're going to hear like the low end fundamental of the guitar shift from being in the center to being to the side of your head. And that's going to let your kick and your bass synergy just be even harder oh, and let a, the harmonic content of the guitars sit in the stereo field. That, that's that's yeah, that's a neat trick, actually. You can also do that to um, like pull um, some of the really abrasive that fucking 2.1 K, for instance. One tray uh, trick that I like to do a lot is um, pull that out of the center channel of the rhythm guitars if there's a lot of lead guitars going on. Oh, okay. So, okay, that that makes sense. So, like, just the low and the just the mid range, it really sits in the stereo field for the rhythm guitars. Yeah, and everything yeah. else can kind of sit in the context of it. So, like, when you tune into the rhythm section, you could still hear and feel the rhythm guitars, but they're not completely occupying the sonic space. Yeah, that. that and then that it's makes what's sense. really cool about this is if you you can automate the EQ that's doing the side or the mid side stuff to a lane of automation in your DAW, and then when you've got a breakdown that's just bass, drums, and guitars, you can just pull that off, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's a lot thicker. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I do, So funny f funny that you mentioned automations, though, because that's something that I really, uh, <laughs> I really hated doing for whatever reason at, at the start of my uh, producing or mixing career. Just honestly, just because I thought it was so tedious, but like now... I've been like incorporating so much in terms of uh, in terms of automations and everything, especially because you know with sound design and everything, um, just automating like you know filters and all that shit. But I don't know why automations I used to hate so much because now it's like I use them. Well, that's why we always constantly. also used to hate programming drums. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> that's true too. So you're like, want result, don't want time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I used to I used to hate programming drums too, and now I don't mind it. But I find it pretty fun, actually. Like sometimes that's part of my writing process, like going in, opening up my drum template, uh, with, you know, getting a sound I like dialed in, and then just making a groove, and then writing a riff to that groove. And sometimes that's how I get my best like fight riffs. That's dope. I've I think I've only ever done one song where I wrote the drums first because normally, re I mean, like yeah, normally I don't even I don't even really start with guitars. I usually start with synths. Since or like a bass line or something is what I usually I do that. I with. do that a lot too. Like uh, the song "Hymns for Apocalypse," um, that whole like minute long intro, like that big sound uh, that I used, like the or big organ sound that just gets like it's got that high like digital choir of angels kind of feeling, and then it just gets lusher and lusher, and then starts entering into the sub range. Like that is all one wavetable. That's so dope. That's yeah, no, so funny. Like synth sound design is my absolute shit, and I could nerd out about it for fucking years. If I ever get the chance to interview Andrew Huang on this podcast, I am going to just be a ball of joy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use uh, for synths mainly? Uh, well, funnily enough, like ever since I learned how to use wavetables, I've really been using just the Ableton wavetable a lot, and then I'll only dig into my native. Uh, instrument suites when I'm looking for a specific kind of sound or if I'm not feeling like I want to build a sound from scratch uh, I've okay. really kind of gotten into like the process and the intricacies of how to build a sound from scratch yeah see that's, so, that's what I've been trying to do recently too I've been using uh, I've been using serum for for all that's of one of the reasons recently. why I picked up Ableton is because like I this interest goes back so back far for me because I like noises 
and <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to know how they're made. Like even when I was first learning how to play guitar, I was asking my brother like when we were listening to Metallica records, like why does that guitar sound like that? Like like before I could even articulate that, he's like, "That's a reverb pedal. That's a delay pedal." I'm like, "What?" And then you know, ten years later, I'm like producing shit constantly. Yeah, I'm, I'm funny. I'm funny enough. I'm, I, was the, I was the same way. I remember when I first started playing guitar. Like I almost immediately wanted to start recording myself when I started playing guitar. It was like it was like almost directly after I started recording myself, and I fucking was <laughs> started on fucking GarageBand, but um. <laughs> yeah, I've always been fascinated with uh, trying to make trying to make certain sounds and you know why things sound the way they do, and that's why I've been been really getting into the electronic side of things now because I feel like I've got a pretty good handle of how to make things work, you know, with heavy guitars and drums and whatever. So now, I yeah, want to well, take it's it to like the, uh, um, electronic music is where I picked up like these mid side EQ tricks and like um, using uh, stereo wideners and monitoring my phase uh, when it's all mixed down to mono for like the really dense arrangements that have a lot of stuff bouncing in the stereo space so that I can have these ridiculously pummeling rhythm sections but also like three layers of lead guitars and like uh, a whole brass ensemble and a whole string ensemble uh, go check out the ballad of Ryan Joseph on Spotify Alice Kane Wolf <laughs> no shame i mean yeah i don't it's your podcast i would i don't i don't fucking blame you <laughs> fucking uh self-promote all you want well th this is also about you though i really enjoy letting my guests lead the discussion for the podcast um i mean that that is that is awesome but as far as like um yeah, as far as as far as electronic sound design goes, though, like that for me has like like you know how how it has for you has opened uh, has opened my eyes in terms of like producing, and uh, you know doing things differently, and I, that's why I feel like I, I I like urge everyone honestly to to try and mess with um, synth sound design because it's a whole different ball game when it comes to to doing stuff like that, and I feel like you 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 do learn like so many neat tricks and stuff, and I feel like I'm just getting started. In terms of uh, in terms of you know sound design and stuff, even though my stuff sounds like I know what the fuck I'm doing. When well, I, it's in like reality, the, I don't. there there are literally entire genres of music born out of just how fun and rewarding and stimulating it is to play with synthesizers and effects. That's why genres like dark ambient, or dark ambient and drone and like progressive house and all of this, like that's that's what drives these genres and makes them interesting. Yeah. Because these genres like really broke into prominence when they first brought these set of compositional tropes and timbres into the zeitgeist. And then now as it continues to evolve, it's just, what are we doing with all these? How are we reinterpreting them? What new stuff are we incorporating? Motherfucker, I'm not even playing guitar and I'm dropping picks. <laughs> <laughs> I fidget. The, uh, yeah, I I have a I use only <laughs> I use Stone Age guitar picks, so like I'm like so anal about dropping a pick because it those are not cheap. They're I'm not so like though. I'm not one of those people who's super super picky about the kind of picks they use. Like the two that I ha the three that I have in my hand, they're like two purple Tortexes and uh, one of the Sheet Happening or Sheet Happens publishing picks. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah, it came in the box when I ordered my. Um, Angel Vivaldi vinyl. That's dope. I also, I, I by the way, speaking of Angel, I heard that uh, I was listening to your to your first episode, and uh, 
I, I heard. Uh, I remember hearing that uh, that he gave you one of his guitars for your birthday. So he didn't actually. Funnily enough, it was the person who's um, bought that guitar from Angel, who like paid an exorbitant amount of money for that guitar from Angel because it was Angel's guitar, and yeah. he loved loves Angel the bits. Wanted to support the guy. He's he fucking out here. He quit his day job so long ago, and he's just continuing to get better. I'm so proud of him. That's awesome. It's so, but um, I, lo- so I love like, I love hearing success, success stories of people. It makes me so happy. Well, the story of this guitar is ridiculous, which I guess now is a good time to tell it. Um, like, obviously, it's the orange RG7 CT that he played in, uh, like, a lot of the Away With Words uh, era stuff. And, like, I think uh, he also toured with it around uh, the Speed of Dark Revisited. Yeah, I've I know. seen him play that guitar I, live twice. I know exactly which guitar you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, Dorothy. And it's it's like as I'm looking staring past my microphone, I'm staring at her case. So it's like really surreal that you brought that up. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> well, it's cuz like she came into my possession because the person who bought it, Jordan, who's a really really good friend of mine. I love him. He kind of helps keep me grounded on some of my worst days. Um he um his he had a house fire and oh, he lost a lot of his guitar collection and like um you know him his significant other all of his animals that those are all safe all the really really important stuff but he lost like a lot of his favorite guitars and even like all of the hardware and electronics out of dorothy basically just kind of disintegrated damn dude yeah well it's because like dorothy didn't get caught in the blaze so much as she did um get a bit of little bit of water damage just because they flooded the basement minorly when they um uh, put put it all out so just all the humidity kind of corroded her uh, hardware and her electronics away so like jordan is also like an immensely talented um like home luthier because like he even though the neck is a little bit warped like when i took her out of the case the fucking fret job he did on that and like watching the progress picks which i'm gonna make a big old video about this pro- uh, project because like I'm still waiting on pickups from the guitar Marie. I'm still waiting to go see my friend Christian here locally so that I can actually like put her together and get her wired up with some pl- uh, placeholder to pick pickups to make sure that she's playable and get some content out there with her. Gotcha. Good guitar Marie pickups though. I, f- I fucking, fucking love <laughs> them. So, so like re- real talk, like I-, I ride so hard for those boys. Like Mike is a really good friend of mine, their owner. Um, I've known Joe, uh, even like a lot of their past staff uh, were really close with me and fans of my work and I've, I've loved their work so much. Like I bought um, the red Alex Wade seven string that I played for a little bit in my old band run, definitely run from Mike. And it had a, a set of Atlas pickups in it. The first one that they did with Paduke bobbins. Oh, okay. I really miss that guitar because like uh, that guitar was just, oh it was a riff monster even though it was only like a short scale seven string uh, because that was before alex convinced him to do a baritone like that thing just sounded so massive so that's what got me hooked on them and then i got the uh, baritone seven string uh ltd uh jacqueline the guitar that like everybody associates me with um and that i that had the stock pickups in it for a while and i eventually got a set of zebra guitar marie fox bats in them and Long story short, now uh, once I came into a little bit of money, I ordered three more sets from them for literally the rest of my guitars. 
<laughs> I don't blame you at all, though. So, so, so I have uh, Atlas sets coming uh, in white and gold for both Dorothy, Angel's old guitar, and uh, my Lizzie Hale Explorer. Oh, and okay. I have a uh, Sparkle Foxbat set coming for my 8-string, my 2228. Oh, that's going to be dope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got... Um... Yeah, I know. If you think my shit sounds good now... <laughs> <laughs> I've got fucking uh, I've got the Minuteman and the Foxbat in my eight string. I've got yeah. the, the Minuteman and the Bridge and the Foxbat in the neck, which is a pretty interesting combo, especially when you um, do the middle position with a split coil. Ooh, and that's so the cool. uh, the multi scale LTD that you play, right? Yeah, the Sick. only eight string that I have, or the only guitar that I have for that matter. Right. On. You see, I like I'm poor as fuck, but I'm also extremely sentimental, so I still kind of hoard a little bit. Gotcha. <laughs> like that's why like i have five guitars but they all have names and i want the people in my life to remember them like it's kind of bad <laughs> it's, it's, that, i mean that if like honestly i wish i had more guitars so i kind of envy you in that regard <laughs> but at the same time like i was reflecting on it the other day and i was like how many guitars have i had in my career i went through my whole list i have owned 35 guitars in my 10-year career i know motherfuckers yeah, who have 35 guitars I know motherfuckers who have 35 guitars sitting in their back room. Yeah, that is fucking crazy to me. <laughs> that, I mean, again, I wish I could have that many guitars. I don't, need, I don't even have space for that many guitars well, it's right like, now. I, I've never had them all in one room. Like, I think the most I've ever had in one room was eight, and that was when I had the biggest like living space that I ever had. And all of them were gone. out of They either got destroyed, or I gave them away, or I had to sell them to live. Yeah, see, I feel that. I had to sell pretty much most of mine. <laughs> I just kept the, kept the the main, the main big boy. So so, what's that one white whale like? If you could go and get one of your guitars that you've parted with back, what would you get? Mm. Um, damn, that's that's a tough one. There, well, I sold a seven string that I was pretty fond of. It was a, I'm, I mean, it was a Schecter, but it was like. It was like it was like one of the first guitars that I had, and uh, it was the first seven string that I had actually. Um, so like you know, it kind of held a special place in my heart, and I, I ended up having to sell that because uh, I had some medical bills that I had to take care of. But that's uh, the fucking worst. I'm sorry. I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. It, but yeah, I, I know how it is, but I just I, that's why I I show sympathy it's because I've been through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does suck, but um, yeah. So if if it, I'd say it'd probably be that one that I would that would that I would take back, and it's not even like the the nicest one that I've had, but it's just the one that you miss the most. Yeah, just just for the reason that it was like the guitar that I like start. I mean, it, for for me, it was the guitar that um I started using when I was getting into heavier music. <laughs> Sorry, don't mind me. I'm knocking shit over. <laughs> I was about to ask, are you good? Yeah, 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 no, I just, I, I was reaching for something and I uh, knocked my mic stand over, but I didn't hit anything, so we're good. I caught it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be that guitar, for sure. Hell yeah. So, um, on the topic of nerding out with guitars, like, one of the reasons I was reaching over is I'm grabbing Dorothy's case. I, I want you to hear, I'm going to hold it up to the mic, and I, I want you to hear how fucking resonant this thing is. Okay. 
bear in mind, this has like nothing on, no strings, no nothing. Like this is the neck. Oh shit. And body. Holy fuck. Yeah, that's super resonant, Jesus. So like, I am so excited to get her set up because like. Yeah, that's gonna sound. That's gonna sound sick. Well, we know it sounds sick because it's all over Angel's discography. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that too, but it, it'll, it'll be... Like, it, I can't tell you how weird it is for me to be holding this when and flashing back to like, oh, I've learned how to play songs by watching his playthroughs holding this fucking thing. Yeah, that that is that is really cool. But it so, but it'll be it'll be neat to like hear it in like a different light, you know what I mean? Uh, oh, yeah, because like I, I, I think I think even Angel would agree that I'm hella... I'm a lot more genty than he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that too. Angels, so for me, so like earlier, I was saying how I don't really listen to like technical shreddy music, but Angels is like one of the few that I do listen to like pretty regularly. Well, that that's held that's held true for me because like I, his personality and his melodic sensibilities are his just, melodies are so yeah. I've like I find myself humming his hooks like I three of them just flew through my head as we were gushing about it and had that moment. Yeah, like, he's, he's he's yeah, his melodies are fucking amazing. So like real talk, um, I'm subscribed to him on Patreon. And when you do that, you get stems. I totally got his OK to like do a Porter Robinson esque remix of Sea of Heartbreak with the stems that I have. Oh, that's dope. I'm very tempted to do some like vocal track manipulation and like try to emulate some of those melodies and mix it with his guitar i think it's it'd be really interesting that'd be really cool that'd be fucking dope yeah i know he uh, loves electronic music too that I, I didn't know that that's awesome though well yeah like uh there are multiple videos of him on youtube on his personal channel um uh, playing along to uh, progressive house songs oh that's so cool yeah well one of them he did like around the time when um the tragic uh, Miami Pulse shooting happened. Oh damn! And and he did it as just a spur of the wind. Like, hey, here's new angel content. Uh, uh, like, please pay attention to social issues. Like, he he's very good at that. He's just talking. Like, he he's like a friend that everybody has that just is very quiet in the room until he says something that everybody needs to hear. Yeah. Like he's very particular about his social media presence, and I respect that a lot about him. Yeah, I I respect that a lot about him too. It's, it's something I've definitely noticed for sure. But it's also weird because like he's a personal friend of mine, and I've worked with him, so like we've made sex jokes over like collaborating and the track that we worked on together. Some of the banter between that was pretty fucking ridiculous. When I told him I got his old guitar, that was a pretty fucking priceless reaction. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? Whenever you got the guitar. <laughs> So I sent him a picture of the the neck and body that uh, Jordan sent me, right? Um, and uh, it was post cleanup, but like no hardware or anything, just as it is like in the case right now. As I just pulled it out, and he is like, "Yo, wait, that that those guitars are sick. Wait, that book match looks a lot like my old one." I'm like, "Puta, that's Dorothy." He's like, "Get out." <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking awesome. And it, it's the this it's the guitar that. Um, he played on stage for the entire show before we actually met in person for the first time. 
So oh, that's, and this that's is a, awesome. this is a hilarious story that I don't get to tell much. So now that I have a podcast, I can actually proselytize a little bit. Uh, yeah, go so ahead. like being, I can't understate how much people who feel like they don't have connection in the world or in the industry or whatever, just get out there and add people, message them, talk to them, just try to get to know them. There's no harm in trying. Mm. And, but, and I preface this by saying like, I was going to the show. It was, it was the interval shape of color tour. Yeah. Because it was intervals, uh, save us from the Archon, plenty and angel Vivaldi and angel played second. Save Us From The Archon played first, and they were great, but the sound guy didn't know what to do with them that show, so I was really disappointed that I couldn't hear too much of what they were doing, but I loved their vibe. Um, Angel played second. H have you seen him live? No, I haven't, sadly. Uh, whenever it's safe to tour again, if he blows through anywhere, you really should take the opportunity, because like, it just outside of how much I love his music and being a friend of his his showmanship and his stage presence and the absolute passion that he puts into his art and how he enjoys sharing it with the audience live is infectious. I, I like, even though I haven't seen him live, I like, I like 100% believe that. Cause like the reason why I feel like I, his, his music resonates so much with me, like even though it is like, you know, techie or whatever is that I can like listening to it, I can feel the passion behind it. And like that, that for like being able to feel the passion behind music for me is so important. It's the because it's like I don't, I don't, cause it's like an extension of who you're if, of like who you are almost. You got what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and I feel like part of that is just down to who he is as a person. Like, I, I don't think anybody has to exercise too much thought to just look at how he puts himself out there and how he conducts himself, how he talks live stream, just whatever. Like it doesn't take much effort to see that he's just a human who is having a lot of fun playing music and is recognizes that they're very fortunate to be in the position that they're in. Yeah. That, that's awesome. I really want to do meet him. He is, he is a fantastic individual and I will sing his praises till the day I die because I want his art to be remembered for a long time <laughs> and I'm sure it will because he's like he's 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 so good have we really just spent the last 20 minutes of the podcast sucking angels dick <laughs> apparently <laughs> what? how long have we been going at this point fucking a yeah we, I, I think we actually just ticked over an hour oh shit yeah we did <laughs> Well, <laughs> is there anything uh, you want to say before I go ahead and turn the recording off? Um, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for everyone who took the time to listen. Um, thank you for you everyone anything... who's checked out my music. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, do you have anything to say to fans, friends? Because we have a lot of fucking mutuals. They're probably going to listen to this. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is true. Um... Oh, Sammy from Gent Shitposting sends her love, by the way. Aw. I'm going to try to get this interview shared in there, too, just to get a little bit more traction head up your way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Real recognize real. <laughs> I'm for sure going to share the, the, the podcast around, too, because I, I had a lot of fun. I honestly. appreciate that. Like, I, 
I was ex- like I, James from Nomadic, the guest on the last podcast. I was expecting him to like share the stuff and like you know boost the podcast. I wasn't expecting just like for half the day my phone to just be like oh another nomad uh, nomadic notification of them sharing the post because like which by the way if you have not f- like found that post on facebook it's on my personal page but it's like nomadic has shared it and we're also doing it on nomadic's band page but we are giving away a signed copy of their debut album um euphoria on vinyl that's awesome it's coming out that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. coming out July 10th, and I'm really fucking excited. I've heard the album front to back uh, multiple times at this point, and like, I, I don't put it lightly when I say it's like album of the year material. Uh, the the podcast made me my voice is cracked there. <laughs> <laughs> the the podcast made me want to listen to the album though, because um, just kind of because take like I like I said I listened to it and the way he talks about how he basically like fucking poured his heart out. Well, it goes back into what we were just saying about how you could feel the passion in the music. Like, yeah, like that th- that comes across. So nomadic writes the kind of music that makes people start to pay attention to lyrics and music more. Yeah, that see the the that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to sit down and pick his brain about uh, the lyrics on that album. Like if like you and I can nerd out for years and years about gear and shit, but I don't think either of us are like hardcore lyricists like like i write but it's just therapy i don't really put it out there much yeah 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 i agree the yeah so when it comes to when it comes to like lyrics and stuff it's like it's crazy to it it is cool to be able to pick like someone's brain about how they go about writing lyrics and stuff because uh i I don't know there's some there's some there's some lyrics out there that are that are like man how the fuck did you come up with this yeah it's because like it's pretty surreal to like cross-reference like like for instance uh nomadics art like the the collaborative effort of james nick austin their producer the whole band like because like that was something that james really stressed in that podcast too is like it's very very collaborative that band and yeah i remember talking about that it's really is more than the sum of his parts but uh like the lyrics and the delivery of them just always fuck me up so good and i'm just sitting here like how does this come out of a bunch of wholesome shit-talking boys from Florida? <laughs> and how did these guys somehow write a song about body dysmorphia that somehow tells this tale of almost anybody who has gender or body issues? It's 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 crazy. To... Yeah, no, they're, they're another band that I really want to just continue to support because I want th- that album to really, really make some waves. That's why I really hope that more people pre-order that shit. Uh, they're not sold out of the vinyl, but if they are, like I said, you've got a chance to win one from the fucking podcast giveaway. Uh, uh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that might be a good um, that might be a good place to stop. <laughs> I, I, I I have been Alice. This has been Ramen Gutierrez. Uh, <laughs> Raymond Guitar Hands. Raymond Guitar Hands. And uh, uh, thank you for listening to the White Rabbit Tea Party. Don't, Don't be a cunt to each other, okay? Bye. Bye.